Welcome back to Silk Flowers and Paper Mache Hearts. We are your hosts, Eric Hart and Ashley Flowers. And this week, we are wrapping up our interview with Sean McArdle. Thanks for joining us again. Yeah, thanks for coming back. No problem. <laughs> so last week, we talked about a lot of the effects that you have done in the past, like the dead horse and the Hamlet headshot, remote-controlled vacuum cleaner, shotgun to the ceiling fan. Bengal tiger blood effect, all of those fun things. And so this week, we want to switch over and talk a little bit more about your freelance work and the fact that you have started Hero Props, your prop company. Yeah. Um, so I actually started Hero Props up the first time in 2008. So one of that very first production of Kicking a Dead Horse that I did was technically when I first started using the name Hero Props. And I'd always done it as a sole proprietor mm-hmm. and ran it that way until um, all the way through until just this last year. Um, and so then the journey for hero props started then. And I spent two years in New York um, doing hero props and doing a whole variety of things, some of which was theater. Um, and I would just, I still, after I left the public and while I was doing hero props, I um, regularly would prop master shows at um, the Atlantic and the New York theater workshop and occasionally like an Ars Nova show or something, a lot of the, the but smaller off and off, off Broadway stuff. Um, but then simultaneously in that is when the Bengal tiger stuff started. And so that was also one of my very first hero props things. Um, but those first two years in New York were very up and down because of the fact that the economy decided to crash right then. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Perfect timing. Perfect timing. So at the same time, I was having these amazing experiences of getting to work with Sam Shepard and Stephen Ray and going to Ireland. And then I get home and be like, okay, now what am I going to do? Um, and it turns out the answer to that was because – and this may sound familiar, but when the economy crashes, people don't spend as much money in the arts. Yep. Um, uh, I got, I literally got off the plane from Ireland, having done kicking a dead horse the second time we, we had gone over the, when we did the remount on the main stage and I got back to New York. I had no idea. I hadn't got anything lined up yet because everything was crashing. Mm-hmm. And that was when I got a call from this guy named John Catrambone. He was a guy who worked with Tommy Hilfiger. He would do um, displays, window displays, get crazy displays or, or like event stuff done for Tommy Hilfiger company. And they wanted a five foot mirror ball for the main store on Fifth Avenue as a Christmas display. Mm-hmm. And they wanted it in two weeks. And I oh, said, no. oh, Okay, well, <laughs> I've got this studio. I was sharing a studio with my buddy Steve, and we had a studio space down in Dumbo in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And I said, all right, are you serious? Because if you're really going to need me to do this thing in two weeks, it would take X number of dollars and support in order to make that happen. Do you think you can do that? And he put money in my hand like the next day, and I was like, Okay. And <laughs> this it just is different from theater. Sister, yeah, my <laughs> sister was coming to visit. My sister Erin was in town visiting, and I hired Megan Buchanan. And the three of us built a five foot diameter mirror ball in two weeks and installed it at the main store. Uh, it was plywood foam and a whole ton of little inch and a half mirror pieces that we uh, glued 
onto mm. it. And it's just, and it sat on a motor and it rotated. Um, so it had to be as light as possible. So it weighed about 200 pounds. Um, oh, wow. So that started me on jobs that were much more profitable than your average theater job mm-hmm. uh, and started a balance. So with hero props, it always tended to be a balance back and forth between theater gigs that I wanted to do um, and stuff that was directly in line with the career path from what I'd had before. And then people would ask me to do this other stuff and I'd be like, Oh, okay, sure. You want me to, you want me to do what? Well, yeah, mm-hmm. I can do that. That's not a problem because suddenly it was like everything is static usually, or even mm-hmm, yeah. if it's interacting with other people, it was very much it was at least a different set of challenges than theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the first big thing I did after I got back here to Minnesota, they kept hiring me and it was for a summer promotion for Hill figure. And they had designed a seashell encrusted Volkswagen bug, <laughs> only half of it. And so it was a, a bug cut in half mm-hmm. encrusted with seashells and for a Hill figure, like a beach themed display in windows at Macy's in both New York at the Herald Square store and at the Union Station store in San Francisco. So I cut a Volkswagen in half. Uh, <laughs> I've forced it here. Uh, like front I, and back half or side to side half? Uh, symmetrical, uh, like ah. front to back. Um, I actually cut a 10 inch cross section out of the middle of it because hmm. I had to figure out how to make each half fit inside the dimensions of the windows. And mm-hmm. if I had left that extra 10 inches or even five inches, it was too tight to get the, to get the thing inside the window. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. stripped it. I, what I, in hindsight, I would have had the, I, cause I bought it from a garage and I would have just had in the body. I actually had them give me, I had the chassis and I had to take apart the chassis, which was not fun, not having auto parts and, and being in an auto part shop. Mm-hmm. And I was in a studio at the time that was a shared workspace arts performance studio called at a theater called Bedlam here in Minneapolis, which in the Ivy building, which was a really cool space to be in. But you also didn't know at any given time, whether you're going to be able to use the shop floor to take apart a car or whether there was going to be a cabaret that night, um, which literally happened in the middle of that build. I remember <laughs> oh my goodness. Building. And we were, I had two assistants, um, Sarah and John, and they were working on the thing and we were so tired. They put me to bed on a couch in the in the concert's audience, and I fell asleep for an hour during a cabaret while this loud performance went on around me. While they dragged everything outside and painted everything in the courtyard. Oh. Um, but each half of the car had to be broken into three pieces so that you mm-hmm. could get the pieces inside the display windows. Mm. So each half of the car shipped to New York and San Francisco in three separate. So three crates went to New York, and three crates crates went to San Francisco. And they were up for a month. Oh, wow. And then they threw them away, <laughs> which made me cry. We were As we do in our profession. <laughs> I wish I still had one of those. I still have seashells and, and pieces left over from it. In fact, I still have the 10-inch cross-section mm-hmm. that I've always <laughs> turn into a, a, a vertical art piece of for a flower display. And I've realized, because right now in the process of putting in raised bed gardens in our yard, uh-huh. use it to make a raised bed garden because it's 10 inches it's perfect and mm. it's the it's the shape most of the shape of a volkswagen so you can see the and it's got even got the details like it's got the uh, the rear view mirror <laughs> that's amazing out of it. 
because I never throw anything oh, away. <laughs> so that's like the commercial stuff that I would do. I do with hero props tended to be stuff like that. Uh-huh. But the design stuff um, then tends to be, especially when I was doing like exclusively hero prop stuff. If I was doing design, it was mostly theater with friends. It's mm-hmm. mostly um, small projects where I'm the set designer, but I'm also building everything where I'm the prop designer and I'm sourcing every single, single thing by myself. And the best project in all of that was this collaborative project I did with the company called Swan Dive Theater Company that's run by my friends, um, Damon Runnels and Megan DeShorio, that were my um, first people I met when I first came to the Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all did this big, crazy um, haunted house together in an old theater and it was a big meta theater piece. It was fantastic. Um, but I've done a couple of shows with them um, that have been like my favorite design shows. And on that show, I was the, we had a set designer and I was then the space and prop designer. It was called an Autopia for Pigeons. And we put together the most elaborate set that I've ever done and mostly pulled it all together with recycled materials and renting everything from the Guthrie for very little. <laughs> and a lot of sweat equity and in the end we had this project that was this huge environmental piece that we actually got featured in american theater magazine um oh, nice. oh, awesome the, the production thing that they'll do like on the last page mm-hmm. yeah uh, we actually got that design into american theater magazine and we were like what like nobody even here was able to like hardly anybody in minneapolis even saw the thing but we <laughs> got that sucker into the magazine we were very proud of that's that. amazing yeah, so like I tend to have like really great art design opportunities, and we just did another show last year that was um, equally challenging, depressing though, because it was all about um, the horrors of plastic. It was called the Canopic Jar of Our Sins, and the first act was literally set in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, and uh-huh. it was a very, very bizarre, uh, absurdist piece about putting the person who invented polychloral polyvinyl chloride, the, the Dow chemist who invented it, putting him on trial for crimes against humanity. <laughs> and, the, and the people and the, the triumvirate that are judging him are made up of the angel of canopic jars, uh, a, the Goonie Revenant, which is a zombified albatross that has died from eating plastic, and Roger Waters. Huh. It's an interesting play. Uh, I did everything using mostly recycled plastics. Um, uh-huh. So if I do stuff, it tends to be like my stuff tends to be very, if I do a design, it's very um, sustainability themed mm-hmm. and using this recycled materials as much as possible. Because actually, and because I got to work on that with Danielle Worley on Peter and the Starcatcher. And that's what we did yes. on that, that mm-hmm. whole thing. Recycled. It was amazing. Even though it was Disney, Disney didn't give us a whole lot of money for it. They gave <laughs> us support. And we turned Little Mermaid, the musical that flopped on Broadway and didn't go anywhere. They had it all in a warehouse. And so they let Danielle just have it. And so we were literally just cutting apart old drops and putting it back together and getting stuff from materials for the arts and putting sinking all of our our all of the budget money that she possibly could would go towards labor to balance out the fact that we were getting all these free materials and the work that it took to get those materials and work with them yes. balancing out by, by paying people and paying artists mm-hmm. yeah. and being on the receiving end of that was an amazing fun experience. Um, and then I've tried to always pay that forward too. It's, mm-hmm. it's always like, I try to 
buy stuff or rent stuff as cheaply as possible so that if there is any money, if there happens to be any money in the project, at least I'm giving it towards people. Right. Yeah. Cheap yeah. out on the materials so that you have money left over for people. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's been like the more of the design stuff. And so I freelanced full time with Hero Props until 2015. Mm-hmm. And uh, did a lot of stuff here around town, worked with like all the local theater companies pretty much, and would still continue to go back to New York occasionally. And then take on the weirdest, like you put your shingle out there on the internet for doing it in, into like the more marketing and advertising world and you get the weirdest requests. <laughs> I once did a pitch for a gigantic juicer machine turned into a throne because i don't know if either of you know who jack lalane is this mm-hmm. is probably older th- like a reference that let's just say most of the rest of the members of spam love it when i tell them the story because like jim was like who called you i'm like yeah i got a call from jack lalane's producer because it was his like 90th birthday or something and they wanted a giant rolling Jack LaLanne infomercial juicer, but have it be a throne that he was riding in on. For this <laughs> and we got all the way through this whole pitch process and figured out what we were going to do. And then somebody on their end went, wait, maybe, maybe having the guy whose whole brand is about being strong and virile ride in on a chair is literally the opposite of every piece of branding we've ever done with this guy and they scrapped the entire project <laughs> so yeah oh my goodness weird yeah. stuff along the way i love it when i go through old files and i'll find something that i was that somebody had asked me to do and i'm like wait what like right. i remember like i don't even watch these shows because i can't even tell you which one but it was one of the, like those like ghost hunters shows or something oh, yeah the- it's all fake and they're all like going into houses and freaking each other out with bad video and sound effects and stuff. Um, and they were doing an episode in new Orleans and they wanted to have somebody make voodoo dolls of themselves. Oh my goodness. And so I designed <laughs> voodoo dolls and I was going to build them for them. It was based on the different guys that were on the show, but then they canceled it because the guys got freaked out about having voodoo dolls made of themselves. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Like you do. Like, okay. Like, why not? Great. <laughs> now, how do you how do you find it with these commercial clients being in Minnesota as opposed to being in New York or L.A.? Um, how does that work out? What's interesting, because like, oftentimes stuff gets done remotely anyway. Um, yeah. And that's actually like that's the other part of the interesting career path is because I came here and I freelanced until 2015. And then I still did the occasional um, hero props project. Like actually in the middle of all that, I set up a, a not a haunted theater, a uh, puzzle house, a puzzle room. Oh, those are fun to do. Yeah, we converted a house in uh, down in Uptown in Minneapolis into a puzzle house. It was super fun. Uh, I don't recommend doing it while you're also fully employed by a regional theater. That was a little exhausting. Oh, yeah, no. (laughs) Bad idea. It was bad. I I got really burnt out. Um, But uh, so I worked for the Guthrie for five years, um, and which was fun, but I'd also kind of, in a lot of ways, covering the same ground for me that I had done when I was at the public. So it, in the end, it wasn't someplace I wanted to stay long-term, but while I was there, I learned a lot because I got, I, I had the special um, luck and honor to get to work with a guy named Linus Vlatkovich, who had been working for the Guthrie since 1972. Yes. And he uh... retired. He is legendary in the industry. Um, he had, he, 
started there as an intern in like 72 and then later got more full-time work, but had been working mostly his entire career was at the Guthrie until he retired a few years ago. Um, and uh, I got to share like three or four years in the shop with him and getting to learn from somebody who blew past their 10,000 hours of being an expert on something that long yep. ago was fascinating. Um, and just getting to work alongside somebody who's as disciplined as Linus was, because that is not an adjective that most people use with me that I'm trying to get better about it. <laughs> um, working with somebody with the level of discipline that he has and the, like, you know, those people that have forgotten more about props than you'll ever know. And being able to um, have an, another mentor a, a later in my career was a really good part of it. But then I was also very, very glad to get back to the freelance lifestyle because after you've done it, it's really hard to go back into the more, um, the stricter structure. Right. Yeah. When you suddenly, when you've got set, can you set your own schedule and you can get up whenever you want and then, or you can pull an all nighter if you feel like you need to, and then going into mm-hmm. a regional theater um, shop that has to, by its own necessity, have the schedule limitations that it has, especially because it's a union shop, was challenging. So I decided that no, I'm going to go do my own thing again. So what I what I'm at right now is I I, le- I actually left the Guthrie back last summer, in the middle of the summer last year, and then I went to work for for a company um, doing marketing. Uh, this company here in town called Street Factory Media. That was fun, and and I learned a lot of really good stuff while I was with them. Um, and it was it was like doing the hill figure stuff only all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was where I learned a lot more about the question you ask about like where you get the business and how that kind of that stuff kind of intersects. And um, the the answer is there are shops all over the country, um, and there are several here that cater to the um, the marketing and advertising industries that dwarf what we have in theater mm-hmm. um, that build big, giant, crazy things. Um, yeah. Like when you think about, I mean, you know, you walk, you're going down the highway and you see somebody that's created some giant three-dimensional billboard with a big old cow hanging off the thing. That's actually obviously in three dimensions. You're like, who the heck made that? I worked at a company for six months that did that. And it was interesting. Okay. It was good times. Then it was fascinating to see how, the location of being in the Midwest actually was helpful because they would do projects. They do do projects in New York and LA and Miami and they're, they're, they're a national company doing advertising stuff. And sometimes they build it here in the twin cities and ship it. Sometimes they send people with it, but um, it's more flexible. I would say than the theater stuff. Mm, Um, Right. Because so often there, there's the built in expectation of shipping like i actually am i'm working right now on a project that's that i'm under an nda on that i can't talk about um that gave me the opportunity to go fully self-employed again which is why i ended up leaving that company um Mm -hmm. and but that's one of the advantages now that i have being here that i'm i'm very conscious of is that i can build stuff as a self-employed freelancer with my own studio and my own shop here in twin cities as well as I can anywhere. In fact, it's part of why I left to come here in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, because I realized that when I was in New York, that the projects that I enjoyed the most and was the most fulfilled by professionally and financially actually took me out of the city. 
So I was going out to LA and I was working on Bengal Tiger. I was going to Ireland and I was working with Shepard. And then the commercial stuff that I was doing while I was in the city was a struggle because trying to find and maintain a space in the city is challenging as hell as paper mache monkey knows really well. It's like getting, trying to, to maintain, to build a fabrication company in the city is hard as hell. And you can look at people like the Gerard studio who've been down in Brooklyn forever. I've been able to weather the storm and do this for years, but that's because they, they've been able to have like that continuity, but starting out new was not easy. And so I coming here has been a godsend because also the, one of the best, I mean, I love the twin cities. I I had actually not spent much time here until I moved here. My family has a cabin up North that I would come Mm. here on vacation, but I didn't spend much time in the twin cities. But the theater community here is fantastic, um, and it's easily the match um, technical cap- capability-wise of what there is in New York. And in Minneapolis, there's – well, there's more arts money floating around mm-hmm. and because we've got a thing called the Legacy Amendment where there's arts funding that is built into the Constitution because it was went to state referendum. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a handy thing to have. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Uh, but just the lower cost of living of being here and mm-hmm. lower cost of doing business, but also like what I'm finding right now more so than I, I mean, and I found this all along is that the vendors that are here in the Twin Cities are super helpful. And they're the kind of vendors that when I first started out in New York mm-hmm. were around every corner and aren't anymore. Yeah. Like industrial plastics. Is industrial plastics still on Canal Street? I think they might be. But most of the big shops that were down in lower Manhattan and in Brooklyn that were either the antique shops on Atlantic Avenue or the specialty shops on Canal are all gone. Yeah. Yeah. I think all the art stores are closed, but they might have a Michaels. Right. (laughs) Which is what I have here in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) I go to Michaels. Right. Yeah, so do I. But Twin Cities is big enough that there also supports several larger, more independent stores that are kind of reminiscent of places like Pearl Paint. Mm-hmm. So I, I try to place, go to places like that. We have the best surplus place um, called Axeman that has this amazing selection of industrial surplus and weird toys. And I can go in there and get pneumatic pistons and, and obscure electronics and solenoids. Oh stuff for projects you would love this place that's so nice (laughs) and they've got like four locations of it they've got a main Uh one downtown and then they've got three of them around the cities you can get cheap casters in there weird materials that are just like short run that they just get a weird amount of and you'll just buy stuff up it's great so i i've really found that being here has been a much more um conducive supportive atmosphere for being self-employed even right now um, because I, I, I consider myself insanely fortunate that I went freelance. I went, became fully self-employed in December. Um, and honestly, what I've basically been doing is implementing every freelance thing that I've learned since the economy crash in 2009 mm-hmm. and implementing it now and setting up a studio because now i have my i'm renting a studio space over in northeast in this fantastic little building called the karma building um that is in the northeast minneapolis arts district which is the largest concentration of art studios in the country Mm -hmm. Um, i'm in this really cool old building it was a foundry that has about 30 studios in it 
and John, the guy who owns the building, uh, is an architect, and he actually just built a secondary building next door. So I'm renting a relatively small studio space um, in the basement of the building that's perfect because I've got it set up as a makerspace uh, because awesome. John is an architect, and he wanted to have his own makerspace carpentry shop, so he built a building next door that incorporates some new studio space for like a digital studio and on the ground floor it's a big old wood shop mm-hmm. that i can use when i need it but i don't have to maintain it and maintaining the wood shop is the best you, of both worlds all that's amazing yeah half the battle so i have this shop that's right there and also because i'm not in my garage if i need to do a project i also have my garage at my disposal that yeah. I, I can build out of um and the project that I'm on right now is taking me in new directions that I've never gone in before. Um, I've always been very analog. Um, coming up in grad school with Jim Guy taught me, and working with people like Linus, I have always taught me a very old school craft way of approaching things. I usually do things when it comes to like designing furniture and stuff and designing props. I do it on paper. Most of the time I do it on graph paper with pens or pencils. Um, yeah. And uh, now, just in the last six months, I've kind of taken the leap that I've always wanted to and going more digital. Mm-hmm. So the project that I'm working right now is involving 3D drafting. Um, and I hired a friend who has a degree in architecture to help me out with it that has helped me kind of skip ahead. But we're building in SketchUp. And I'm able to take the project that we're building in SketchUp and I've learned enough about it in the last couple of months that I can take it and I can export pieces in two dimensions from a three-dimensional model, plot them into a DXF format um, two-dimensional file that we can then laser cut out of cardboard to do prototypes and then build the real model that we're making out of clear acrylic. Um, and oh, it's wow. this company that's like right in the building that I'm in. Um, so one of the things that I was really hoping for when I moved into this studio was that, um, like I know I've, like I've worked with and collaborated and continue to work and collaborate with most of the theater companies in town, uh, mm-hmm. when we're not having a pandemic, <laughs> uh, but I really wanted to put my, get my feet more into the art world as well and see what comes of that. And so I wanted to combine the finding of a studio space cause I could have found someplace closer to home that would have been just as much, but. I wouldn't have this community of the other people in the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they do this annual event called Art of World where everybody does open studios. And it's a three-day event that, of course, is canceled this year. Yeah. But um, it's become a whole festival. And it's the largest open studio event in the country as well. And, um, and you meet all kinds of amazing people. And I keep meeting all kinds of amazing people, even in the building, even with the social distancing. Um, I can still go over. That's another thing is I can, because the studio is very much solo workspaces, everybody can still pretty much work over there. I'm mostly doing my digital work from home these days just to comply with um, all of the stay at home orders. Yeah. Uh, Because if I'm doing a digital, I might as well work out of my home office rather than go over there, but I can go over there. But the things that I've been working off, off for the last few months have just taken me in these completely new and different directions that I'm super excited about because I'm getting new tools uh, in my hands and in my head that are allowing me to build things in a way that I've never built before. Mm-hmm. Um, that is super fun. So what I want to do with that is honestly, <laughs> we'll see if, what the market is like for it, but I really want to work on some like um, cosplay props. Oh and, yeah. Uh, Cause I've, 
done some entries into that realm a little bit. I went to a con last year and met some people that are make, doing it as a business, and it's super fun and, ironically, kind of how I started. Because um, one thing I didn't really talk about was grad school, because I went to grad school with the U- University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana, um, and studied under the aforementioned Jim Guy. And during my three years there in the mid-late 90s, we only had two classes. We only had two official classes. We had Firearms for Stage and Props 101. Those mm-hmm. were the only... Um, like I, as a three-year grad student, I had to take classes in sound and lighting and two semesters of costume history and a whole slate of other things. Yeah. yeah. But specific to my major, there were only two specific classes and everything else was independent study. So, of course, I made cosplay props. We just didn't call it that. <laughs> I mm-hmm. made the Highlander sword because I needed to do a metalworking and a casting and molding project. Mm-hmm. I needed to do another metalworking project and I wanted to combine it with leather. So I made Han Solo's gun belt. Um, I needed to make an armor thing. So I made Boba Fett's helmet. Um, <laughs> and now it's 2020 and it's what, 25 years later. And I'm still looking at working on a business that that's part of it, getting to do those same kind of things. Cause now it's like the rest of the world is caught up with me about wanting all these silly toys. And uh-huh. I want to be a part of that because it's mm-hmm. really fun. And so I want to, what I really want to do is be able to take a lot of that technology that I've learned from other things and incorporate it into um, the cosplay stuff and have the theater stuff influence that. Yeah. Uh, because one of the things Thanks, that I'm uh, most proud of that hero props has been doing uh, that has been the most successful because that's one of the tricks out there. If you're freelancing, if you can figure out a way to build something as a prop person that provides a rental back end, do it. Because the problem with doing bespoke props like we do as a self-employed thing is it's one-off every time. Mm -hmm. And so especially like oftentimes what I'll do, and I I know a lot of people that will do this as well, is sometimes you get a project and you're like, oh, you need me to build the thing for that play. I will totally do that and I'll do it for cost or at least the bare minimum amount of labor money that I can do it because I know at the end I'll have the design and I can keep the or, and or keep the prop that I can then use as a rental prop later. Um, yes. That's actually what I've done with kicking with um, Ages of the Moon. I have the fan for rental. Um, Ireland still has the original one, but when they started producing the play regionally in the states, I um, contacted. Um, I can't remember what theater festival it was. It was in West Virginia. Um, Shepherdstown, uh, but they did. They were the first American premiere, and I kept an ear out. I think I actually set up a Google alert, and when I found out they were doing the show, I contacted them and said, "Hey, I will do the fact for you for cheap if you if I can keep the fan at the end." And so we did, and so I built the whole thing and built a secondary version of it that was superior to the first one, and I still have it. Um, so if anybody ever does that show, I can rent it out to them, and I can just ship it off to them as a rental package. Oh, that's mm-hmm. awesome. So then the other thing I have is um, I have a system of flintlock rifles designed for Les Miserables mm-hmm. that shoot cornstarch. Um, so rather than rather than smoke, um, they don't make any noise, but they're, they're like the Denix replica brown besses and a couple of other different kinds. But I built a pneumatic air system into them. So you charge them up to 100 PSI. And they hold that charge and there's a little chamber at the end of the barrel 
and there's a secondary trigger beside the flintlock trigger. So when you pull it, you're doing the big barricade scene in Les Miserables. Mm-hmm. Suddenly you have all these guns shooting off left and right, and you actually get the smoke from the muzzle flash, from the muzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're safe enough that high schools can use them. So oh, nice. they were... They've been in regional theaters, but then I, in fact, I was supposed to be renting them out right now to a re, to a high school in New Jersey. Oh. But of course, everything got canceled and everything got pushed yes. off. Yeah, yeah. So you the, haven't figured out the sound yet. No, but that, that, that. <laughs> that's kind of like as now that I'm doing the full time uh, self employed hero props thing, I really want to focus on a lot of projects that. I've done over the years and incorporate a lot of that stuff. So like I said, I want to take a lot of that technology that I've built for theater props and apply them to cosplay. But I also want to take a lot of that stuff that I've done and combine it in Mm -hmm. a way because I've done a lot of different variations on firearms effects and blood effects. And there are there are some exciting things that I've got in my head and I've had on paper for years that I want the opportunity to do. So if anybody out there wants to, <laughs> you know, help me figure out how to do this. But so taking that idea of the flintlock and then building a speaker into it that's loud enough that it actually sounds like it. And you can do that now. And I know that because they've got these tiny speakers that you can program to the nth degree that you can put inside of a uh, lightsaber. So mm-hmm. I want to. Pull, I also want to pull some of that technology that I'm seeing people implement in the cosplay world because those guys were awesome. Yeah, see, yeah, they got a lot of innovation going on there. Yeah, like, yeah. invent Avid, these techniques Avid, and it's Avid, like, Avid. oh, yeah. There's a lot of crossover that you can do back and forth, and sometimes they get more money in other places that we do in theater, but nobody can match what we can provide for in terms of innovation on a low budget. It's yeah, what, it's what we do. Um, and so being able to like take these new tools and do new things with it, I want to combine that into a new version of that rifle that, that, that has the smoke. I want to switch it over to a different technology that's probably more like a vape technology because the one issue with the powder is if you use them too much, you're also putting powder all over the stage, which isn't that great for your actors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I want to improve that and then I want to have the sound. I also want to have light so that when you pull that trigger, you're also getting some muzzle flash from both the end of the barrel and from the pan and ultimately have it also be a remote control that corresponds so that when you pull the trigger, it does all of those things to make the gun do and sound and be like it's like it's real and be the remote control trigger for a blood effect or practical effect on the other side of the stage. (laughs) That's really what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> and then be able to have that as a rental and be able to like, and that was actually one of the things, like I was going to be at USITT last week too. That was, that was what last weekend was going to be. Oh, uh, yeah. And I was going to talk to all these people about all this idea that I had with this stuff and, and make sure that, and put the word out that I have these um, weapons for rental. And right now that's suddenly not nearly as high a, pro- a priority, but I definitely yeah. want to take as much of this time as I can during this crazy pandemic to, Treat it like a sabbatical of sorts. Yeah. To do as much research and and time and invest time and stuff like that. And to do things like this. Yeah. Uh, Because I've got a ton of stories and experience from stuff that I've done in the past. And I'm trying to work on ways to translate that into other forms um, like uh, teaching classes 
because um, I was already thinking about trying to do some online teaching before all of this happened. And now, wow, the technology is getting there. And uh, yeah. we're, people are definitely culturally coming around to the idea of people yep. doing remote teaching. Mm-hmm. There, there are far more people who know how to do online teaching now than there was a month and a half ago. Right? Yeah, so true. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. So that's definitely an area that I was working towards. And then the other big thing that I did in the last couple of years is uh, for the very first time, I went on stage since college. Um, and one of my favorite theater communities in the Twin Cities is our uh, Fringe Festival. Mm-hmm. We have the largest unjuried Fringe Festival in the States. And the community that surrounds it of both the people who are local that produce it and participate in it and write shows for it. Um, people come nationally and come participate in our Fringe Festival. Uh, I love it. We're my social theater circle. All of the people that I are in our circle, we all kind of rotate around Fringe. And it's great. And so I caught the bug. And last year, or in 2018, wrote my own show and performed it. Uh, it's called Gunfighting, an American Story. Um, like I had mentioned, one of the things that Jim taught us in grad school was firearms for stage. So one of the things that I also do that I want to continue to do now is firearms stage safety training. And I combined that with my frustration over gun safety laws in this country. And I wrote a show about uh, the history of gun safety legislation and uh, gun laws in our country Mm -hmm. and how that intersects and seeing that through the prism of theater, especially from my perspective as a stage firearms safety instructor who teaches actors and technicians an enormous amount of, of technical information and knowledge and safety information before we'll let them fire blanks on stage. And wouldn't it be great if you had to have even something close to that level of training if you're going to have a real gun? Yeah. So I wrote a whole show about it. I did a ton of research and involved things like talking about the the flintlocks um, and doing stuff for Les Mis mm-hmm. and all of the training and safety stuff that we do for that. And then did a, a history of Founding Fathers, um, gun legislation, and the fact that they actually were way in favor of gun control. Up till today to uh, the craziness that we have with the NRA. Yeah. 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 I think it's interesting because Jim and you, I do some firearm training too. And I, you know, I don't have guns. Jim doesn't necessarily like guns. (laughs) And where like all these people who are doing firearm training are like not gung-ho about guns, but it's still this very like uh, intense thorough detailed training of guns gun history Mm -hmm. and gun safety maybe it's even better that we're not excited about guns because then it's like let's not get excited and let's actually delve into the get into the weeds here and figure out the safety before we even touch them yeah the tool that they are rather than the political football that they've become Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well sean it has been so wonderful to chat and hear all of the amazing things you have done thank you so much for coming on to our show Thank you for asking me. This has been really fun. Yeah, it's a good time. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Silk Mache and email us questions or ideas at propspodcast at gmail.com. And subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And check out our website at silkflowersandpapermachehearts.com, where you can find all of our old episodes. 
This has been another episode of Silk Flowers and Paper Mache Hearts with your hosts, Eric Hart and Ashley Flowers. We'll see you next time.